All right, everybody, this is Andrew from the Superhouse Podcast, and I have a friend here uh, that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, we lived in Japan in the same uh, gaijin house together. Uh, well, different apartments, but same apartment building. Um, and uh, his name is Felix Penrose. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this is going to be kind of like, I guess, more or less a wild card episode. I remember... Um, I've said in some other uh, episodes of Superhouse that I want to start uh, expanding into other topics and things like that. And um, this is going to be partly like autobiographical uh, on my part and then uh, partly uh, going into uh, maybe some deeper discussion stuff uh, a little bit later on in the interview. But uh, this song you're listening to now is called Voyage and it's from a band called Leave, which is is spelled l-e-a-v-v and this is from my chill mix anyway how's it going felix i'm good how are you i'm doing i'm doing <laughs> good <laughs> so uh yeah. first off where where are you living right now i'm in tokyo um in Setagaya. okay so, and um you are few go years, ahead. Yeah. you're like yeah. over 10 year mark right um, I think 13 years. What is your What is your mother tongue, man? Is it English? Uh, my yeah, I'm, more, I'm most proficient in English. But you're pretty much bilingual, though, right? Uh, yeah, my Japanese sucks, though. <laughs> I mean, but you're you say sucks, but I, you have philosophical conversations in Japanese. No, it's difficult. Difficult. Okay. It doesn't stop me from attempting, but... You speak Japanese every day, though. Um, Yeah, Google Gaga stuff with my girlfriend. You really don't... You've been there for like 13 years and you don't speak that well? Yeah, especially these days because all my... Most of my friends are just uh, foreigners now. You get fucking... Just because um... of work and stuff, but... Oh man! Yeah, I wanna, I want to reconnect with uh, my Japanese friends. Yeah, yeah, you got to. My Japanese, in some ways, is better than ever. Yeah, I can't wait to hear. Yeah, You're, yeah. you um, you talk uh, Japanese with your girlfriend or wife? Mostly? Yes. Oh, I sorry. Yeah. Yeah, we do, and um, I keep my Netflix and everything in uh, in Japanese. You guys watch Marie Kondo, Marie Kondo. Oh yeah, everybody says Marie Kondo. <laughs> uh, I have only seen clips. I don't really care about her that much, but it's it's news in Japan that that was a big deal, right? In America. Yeah, yeah. It's so bizarre. I don't care about that. I just cleaning rooms. Who cares? I don't give a shit. Yeah, it's insane, right? Make a fucking TV series out of it. Yeah. Nuts. That's where we're at. I mean, she was on Colbert and everything with a translator. Yeah. <laughs> Cringeworthy. This is totally off topic, man. But, uh, shoot. The, uh, it seems to be that Japan is the only country in the world that really hasn't gotten into Marvel movies that much. It just will not break. I mean, it's getting a little bit more and more popular, but I wonder 
uh, why that is. I guess it's just their otaku culture is so different or, or what? I don't know. Yeah, I think um, well, I, that, this is something I kind of enjoy about the Japanese. They're so insulated. And of course, of course, they're, that's a double-edged sword. It's good and a bad. Yeah. But um, yeah, in this time of globalism, this is kind of refreshing for me. Yeah. There's this local quirky culture going on here. Yeah. I mean, there was this, the box office info for this, and this was in second week. I think it was number one first week in Japan, actually. But in game, it, sh- it was showing this the week of, like last week, number one in every single country in the world. <laughs> but Japan, it was Conan. Yes. Conan. 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 Yeah, I know. Uh, yes. So. I think there's yeah. something good about it, like not following trends. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely a good thing, but it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's interesting. Yeah, I think Japanese people don't, don't really care about the superhero kind of, well, at least not in this, because I think um, a lot of American superhero movies are about saving society, right? Yeah. In Japan, it's not so much about saving society it's What's more it about? about when it comes to society it's more about cooperation and then the hero thing the hero the Japanese hero is like sometimes it's like the uh, the lone wolf anti-hero or shigoto ga dekiru hito like someone who's able to kick ass in business at work. But I'm necessarily like save society. Yeah, I don't see that kind of stuff. Maybe there's something like Godzilla and then the Japanese people come together to defeat Godzilla. Yeah. I think some of it has to do with look as well, as far as... um. Maybe it's changing now, but as far as like from what I remember, a lot of Japanese heroes are essentially teenagers, hmm. and a lot of American heroes are in their thirties. <laughs> you know, really, Batman's supposed, supposed to be twenty nine. Batman, yeah, Batman and Iron Man are kind of outliers in a way. No, I think mm. most most American comics they're. They're way older than teenager, I'll tell you that much. Except for uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Way older. Mm. Yeah. I guess what they're warning is 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 different. You know what though? Every time I show a, well, I haven't done this in a long time, but when, when I when Japanese people see. Uh, uh, an American co- comic book movie. Generally, they enjoy it, though. It's just no one's going out of their way in Japan. It seems like to yeah, hard to identify. I think with the yeah. characters. Yeah. Well, like you guys worked on the the Miyamoto Musashi thing, right? 
Uh, this death scene with、um, Miyamoto Musashi like cutting down that one samurai.、Uh, did I work on it? Yeah, you, you said your team worked on it on Westworld, was it? Oh, it wasn't Musashi though. It was, I mean, it was maybe a character like him, but it was their robots in the park.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, well, me, yeah, me, we、I'm... worked on a part of that, yes. Well, you know,、uh, Miyamoto Musashi is like you know, timeless Japanese icon. Yeah. And I think、um, I've always sensed, even from when I was a kid, that、uh, there are all these.、Um, the Japanese have a tendency to celebrate the anti hero. Not really,、um, we don't really celebrate like goodness in this. I think、uh, maybe it's a legacy of Christianity, maybe. You, you tend to see, well, the West tends to see the world in, in good and evil. And in Japan, it's more it's humanistic. We're, we're both good and evil, and we、yeah. celebrate both. We celebrate the person who could make use of both good and evil. Ah, that's interesting. So that would be like all those Kurosawa Akira characters, Musashi. That's interesting. I mean, they're not celebrating goodness. That is, yeah, I could see that being a Christianity influenced thing. I mean,、mm-hmm. the celebrating of it. Yeah. 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 Well, I love living here, Tokyo. That's、uh, good. I call it the, the heart of cyberpunk. It、yeah. really feels that way.、So. It's interesting, though, when I was living there, sometimes it felt like. Even though it was known for technology, a lot of Japanese people seem to not know how to use a computer. <laughs> yeah. Like at, like at all. Yeah. Is that, is that still the case, you think, in your experience? Well, I think the younger generation is, is up to speed. But yeah, the older generation is clueless. It, yeah, it would be people that, like, not even like that old, but. Like everybody, they know how to use their phone, obviously, but they don't. I remember, God,、yeah. it seems like most people, like, they've accessed the internet via their phone and they've never done it a single time on, a fo- on an actual computer. You know what I mean? Like, that, there's people like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, I felt that was strange. For one thing, the office equipment, sir, they're all outdated for whatever reason. They don't want to spend money or whatever. Maybe it's the. Yeah, it's the, uh, uh, the hierarchies you know, that prevent progress in that area. Throwing out old computers and bringing in Macs. Everyone's using fucking Windows. Yeah. In some、Windows. ways, the Mac, the Mac boom is, on, is, on, is not completely dead, but it's like not as huge as it was. And I feel like Windows is in some ways get, gaining a hold again in America. Do you still have any culture shock? 
Do you have any kind of like for Japan? Yeah, like oh, that's different. Yeah, small in small ways all the time.、Um, let's see,、um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. But、um, well, just how s- small everything is—the space, you know, and pe- people.、Yeah. How they make use of the space here—it's amazing, but also like why? <laughs> right. There is land, you know, and there is there are ways to create buildings that don't take up so much area, but you can make big spaces. Like, why don't you do that? I don't get it. Aren't they renting out whole houses, or like you can、right. get a house for free in the country? Yeah. So if they're doing that, I'm sure you there's enough land to build bigger homes and structures. What the fuck's going on? Yeah, it seems like. Well, whenever I first visited Osaka, I knew it was the number two city, population-wise, in Japan.、Mm-hmm. After Tokyo, so I go there, and I was expecting something very similar to Tokyo. Just with the Kansai accent,、mm-hmm. sort of like that, but it was way, way smaller than how Tokyo feels. To me,、like、anyway, inside the building and stuff. No, like size of the streets. The set my sense of the size of the city as a whole. The cities are smaller, yeah. And then I came to found out. Find out that Osaka is less than half the size of Tokyo.、Mm-hmm. So,、uh, it's just—it's one of those things that kind of sh- seems like, what is the percentage of people in Japan moving to Tokyo? You know what I mean? Like, it seems like that city sucks up a large part of the country. Yeah. Yeah. Twelve million people, I think, are here. Around the、yeah. Kanto area. So I、yeah. lived there from 2006 to 2009. What、mm-hmm. in since 2009? What would you say are the biggest changes since I left? I think there's a lot more optimism economically, maybe. Okay.、Like、back then, people were just tired and yeah, pessimistic, and this country is going nowhere. And, Oh, and the influx of immigrants—it's really different now. Like if you walk through Shibuya, it's like wow. It's there's so many different.、Uh, it's starting to really look like、um, like cyber cyberpunk dystopian landscape. <laughs> <laughs> I、yeah. when I visited in two thousand four the first time, there was if you saw another white person. It was a fucking、uh, <laughs> miracle, and now every single time you get on the train, there's at least in Tokyo, there's at least one or two more. Yeah, yeah. Even the Japanese people are speaking English and better English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that's probably true. I mean, I don't live <laughs> there, but I can definitely see that. Yeah, of course, because of the Olympics, there are a lot of Renovations going on. Nuhara. 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 Harajuku. No, have you heard of Nuhara? 
No. Noodle harassment. What's that? They're trying to not slurp their noodles during the, the Olympics because they don't want to harass the foreigners that are coming over. Mm-hmm. Nuhara. That's kind of unfortunate. We should be proud of our culture. <laughs> yeah, I know. That just shows how nice Japanese people are. I mean, they've yeah. got the expression, right? Like, uh, when in yeah. Rome, do as the Romans. They have yeah. that, but they're not yeah. abiding. <laughs> they're not going by it whenever it comes to their own country. So, I don't know. I think it's strange. I feel like they're, the amount of uh, tourists in Japan is higher than ever. But is the, mm-hmm. the amount of like actual actual immigrants is also higher than ever? I haven't looked at the official numbers, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, it's gone up. Um, the government was encouraging influx of new immigrants to hell. And do, it seems like, I mean, how many of these immigrants you think are actually learning Japanese, you know? Like, I, I always wondered that when I was living there. It seems like, I mean, is Japan going to be like us where they become more mixed? But as they become more mixed, are they going to lose their own language? You know, are they going to yeah. eventually er, everybody in Japan just be speaking English at some point because English is so cool? That's a possibility. Uh, I think um, we shouldn't underestimate people's pride in their ethnicity and nation, nationalism even. But who knows? It remains to be seen. It just seems like Japanese people think English is so cool that eventually they're going to God, like stops that seems like they're on the path to where they won't be speaking Japanese anymore. And this is another thing that it reminds me of um, when I was single uh, and learning Japanese living in Japan. One thing I found out really quickly was speaking Japanese when you're trying to hit on a chick is a fucking minus. Yeah. You're not yeah. the full gaijin package. If you speak Japanese, also Japanese, to them sounds weak Sp- saying speaking in English sounds strong and it's cool. White people speak in English. You know, it was all those things that kind of felt like, it's not like if you go to France, if you speak in French, it's a plus, you know what I mean? It's, it mm-hmm. was, I get the feeling it's more how you say it, how you talk. Yeah. So people just start to sound weaker or something if they speak in Japanese, if, if they're a foreigner. Like, Maybe what is it? Um, you, I think, it's just my opinion, but uh, if you do it in a charming way, maybe it works. But the fact that it doesn't, that it's not 100% effective is somewhat surprising to me, or at least it was surprising to me. I have friends who spoke Japanese like they were Germans and it seemed to work because it was in their manners and, and like um, it, it wasn't just a the language. They tried to pay respect to how Japanese behave and they mimicked it. Yeah. 
and they responded well to that. Yeah. yeah. I remember being in teaching in school and I was walking in the hallways and I was and I had said like what to these students before and they thought it was really funny, you know. Like mm-hmm. Japanese students think stupid shit is funny sometimes. <laughs> American students too, but this is, you know, there's a lot of like cultural stuff going on here. Anyway, then I eventually said, Nani? What in Japanese? <laughs> yeah. And then they immediately tell me, immediately in Japanese, you should say what? Mm-hmm. Nani is not cool. So that was like the first time I had come across that. And I was told straight up too. I mean, given these are like little kids, these are like 13 year olds, 14 maybe, but yeah, again, I, I I get this, the the feeling that it's about intonation and yeah. uh, How you say it. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a subtle thing. Right. uh, Right. it's, It's something you could learn. I mean, I think I've gotten it more now than I did before. And, uh, but yes, at this time, uh, I probably wasn't too subtle about anything (laughs) that I said ever, but, uh, I, I, I feel like I know what you're saying. Yeah. I had a Syrian friend who spoke Japanese very well and, uh, yeah, people loved it when he spoke Japanese. See, he had this uh, certain flair and, um, he, you could tell he was very intelligent when he spoke Japanese and people appreciated it. So. But some people speak Japanese well, but they, uh, don't have the mannerism. So it still doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen that as well. Yeah. 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 Cause language is more than just words, man. It's, I it's get it. Yeah. Behavior. Yeah. Behavior's obviously the biggest thing in Japan, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could see that. Where is your wife from? She's from Machida, which is right near mm-hmm. Yokohama, but it's technically in Tokyo. Oh, yeah. That's the Keio line. Maybe. I've actually never been there. And her parents have moved since she's lived here. Her parents live in Shibuya now. Huh. Yeah. In America, you usually go out to the countryside once you get old. <laughs> but they're like damn near retirement age, and they moved right into the center of the shit. Yeah. Well, the Japanese, uh, the suburbs, like, really sucks. Yeah. Most places. It's just too convenient in the city. Yeah. Millions of convenience stores and vending machines. I prefer, I ultimately prefer that kind of life as well as, as far as like not having to drive. I, I, I yeah. mean, I, I love just getting on a train and going somewhere. I driving drives me absolutely fucking insane. I do it every yeah. day. 
but I God, I can't stand it, man. Hmm. And L.A., as you know, you're from here. It's the traffic. Traffic's terrible, and drivers are fucking maniacs. And also, in L.A., you have the situation where you have the second biggest city in America. There's a shitload of immigrants, and everybody's coming with their driving style. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that the, the other day. Yeah. Sorry for all the Asian drivers. It's not even that, man. I mean, it could. I mean, that's a. <laughs> Stereotypical, but there might be some truth to that for some reason. Uh, just how they're taught in their country. Yeah. But as far as, uh, I mean, it could be somebody from wherever Europe, Middle, Middle East. I'm not trying to, you know, be yeah, equal for, equal, for equal sake, but yeah, there, there's, you know, the cultural. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, so you're a lifer in Japan. You're gonna you're gonna be there forever. I'm not sure. I just lost my green card, so it expired. For America. Yeah, I had it since I was like eight. Now yeah. I lost it. But we'll see. Um, depends on my work and everything. So. Okay. Yeah, sorry I couldn't make it to your wedding. Uh, oh, it's okay. It's planning on it then like suddenly my parents were yeah they're in they're in tokyo now they yeah. suddenly they have to come here for tax reasons this and that and okay yeah. sounds good um but man that maui wedding sounds awesome man we're doing it basically just so we can get a vacation out of it it's amazing we pulled this off because we Nobody really had a whole lot of money, but uh, we were able to do it. How many people are going? I think it'll be like around 20, mm -hmm. which is pretty nice. small for a wedding. But this is like not just a wedding. This is like a whole week together. Yeah. So, yeah, man. And uh, I'm going to be translating for my family, you know, and... What's funny is my family has never heard my Japanese ever, except for one one of my brothers, I think. Mm -hmm. And they may, might have seen it on a YouTube video, but they've never heard it in person, except for one brother, because I, I got a phone call one time when he was in the room. And, dude, I've been studying this shit since 2004. It feels like this is like... Yeah. It's just a whole other side of my life that they, no, none of my family knows about. You know, it's... Your not, brother never went to... Japan. No, 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 nobody has but me. Mm -hmm. First trip was paid for in part by my, my, my dad. So I did get like a leg up. But the thing is, I feel like my brothers at least could have taken that as that advantage of that kind of thing as well. But that just hasn't mm -hmm. happened yet for whatever reason. I can edit this part out if you want, but like when you you chose your you chose your passport, you chose your citizenship after a certain point, right? Right. So, um, yeah, m both my my father and my brother naturalized, so they're Americans now. But for whatever reason, for or many factors, and I don't know, um, even some random factors, I became or oh, I chose. 
to remain Japanese. Well, you were just like upset at the way America was headed or you just felt like you needed to stay in Japan longer? You like Japanese culture more? Or? Well, all of that. And then it's also complicated. Um, had a complicated history back going, stretching back to 2001. So we could get into that later if you like. Well, I this has definitely piqued my interest. Is there, I mean, do you want to go over that part of your life or no? Um, yeah, it is <laughs> personal, but some of it, um, well, if you don't, if we don't go too deeply into it, sure. Why not? I mean, okay. So it's, I, a, it's a quirky history. Yeah. That has to do with, um, maybe some of the things you're interested in. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. We're teasing the audience left and right. I feel like, so, right. um, Okay. Can you just tell us whatever part of that story you can tell? Hmm. Um, well, so on Facebook, we started talking. Well, you, you, out of the blue, you, like sometimes you ask me random questions about the cult, right? I ask a question, questions about occult history and, uh, yeah, things like that. And basically because I feel like you're one of the few people that can respond to that one few people that I know that can respond in a intelligent manner. You know, you're, you're more knowledgeable about this than most people. I feel like perhaps, mm. well, going back to 2001, um, by that time I've, I've been involved in a call for a handful of years and well, I was experimenting heavily with psychedelics and the cults in uh, circa 2000, maybe. Okay. And then by 1000, 2001, 2002, I became totally fucked up because of it. <laughs> Too much uh, drug use? Um, if you want to. Well, that's a simplification, but yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, too much drugs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. well, I, I blew a fuse in my brain, let's just say. Okay. And you do not want to reveal the name of the cult? I was not really involved in a cult at that time. I was just going to university. Yeah. And just self-experimentation on... Psychedelic mushrooms were illegal back in Tokyo in those days. Yeah. Uh, so it was a wild scene. And yeah, I just went overboard. <laughs> okay. That's, that's yeah. interesting. So what was there? How do I ask this? Was there like, what were you hoping to get out of all this? Just a mind expansion to some degree or what? Um, yeah. Um, the main, the main, hmm, the main thing was to seek after enlightenment. Enlightenment in the Buddhist sense, or, or some other sense. Yeah, in the Buddhist sense, in the psychedelic sense, and um, the cult or magic, um, proper properly understood, is about enlightenment. So that's. That was my thing. 
And you went to school for philosophy, correct? I majored in philosophy, yeah. yeah. So I was going to UCLA at the time. Um, um, yeah, one day I was um, having eating ramen with my friends in Westwood with my college roommates. And then suddenly I saw this light and it told me to call it Felix. So that's kind of how it started there with the name. Okay. All right. What are, like you, hmm? what are you doing in Tokyo now? I work for a software company. Uh, it's a startup. You program? No, I'm not a programmer. I'm okay. not a, it's more business strategy. Okay. And um, so are you still, well, God, I don't know if I'm going to be on the record for that. Um, <laughs> what would you say your, is there a certain religion or cult or whatever your beliefs are more, most closely defined by? Like, are you, chaos magic or whatever the hell it is like is there is there or is it basically mm. you just kind of pick and choose from here and there um why well, I, I call my path i guess um well may, um, it's mainly existentialism right philosophically and uh, my personal religious attitude okay approach yeah but um, if you want to, yeah, I incorporate um, uh, chaos magic, Thelema, and Zen, Discordianism. I think I need all those things to make sense of my path. Without those, you just feel lost? Not lost, but they're, um, we all need symbols, you know. And I guess I've lived without the usual uh, social markers. And so... Well, uh, okay, like, so when you say social markers, what do you mean by that? Career, um, educational background, and marriage, this and that, you know, kind of foregone all those kind of traditional or the usual uh, routes in life. I mean, you went to school, though. Yeah, I did. Did you graduate? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there's a marker a bit. I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying, but I feel like yeah. you've, you went through some, seems like. Yeah, of course. Um, but it's, I kept it minimal. Is atheism not enough? Atheism, in a way, is part of my life, yeah. But, but you, um, you're more of like agnostic atheism? Yeah, strictly speaking, technically. Okay. And then the quote-unquote spiritual stuff is more about having deep experiences, but you, what are your like beliefs on like actual objective, physical, or I guess, well, I don't know, metaphysical spirits? Or are those just, what do you call it, like thought forms or, or whatever? Well, my approach is speculative. I suspend my judgment. So, but yeah, I tend to not invest in supernaturalism 
Okay. I, I tend towards naturalism. Yeah. So, so it, you could tell by just by the way I talk, I, I, I'm kind of an agnostic, right? Or agnostic atheist, as you say. Yeah. I mean, you saw me in Tokyo when I was living there where I was like kind of a fresh atheist. <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember you kind of laughing at how hardcore I was at times. Was I? <laughs> you, I mean, you did a little bit. You did a little bit. But I, I, the thing is, it didn't like bug me or anything. I, it, it was, uh, I could see why you thought that. But um, then I kind of like loosened up and got and became more or less agnostic atheist. And to this day, I'm sort of still at that point i mean you know listening to the last podcast on the left has been like a big thing as far as like opening my eyes to these like you know the occult magic with a k and all that like i think that stuff is cool but i'm still pretty much like i don't really put much i don't invest a lot of like uh really any belief hardcore belief in that stuff but there probably is like we talked about before behind the scenes, like we've, there's probably something to do with like brain hacking. What would you yeah. call it? Like, like yeah, sure. learning, make your brain work for you. Yeah. You know, maybe I feel like maybe some of that stuff is, uh, yeah. they might be onto something with some of that stuff. And I don't think that has anything to do with anything supernatural. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of, you know, hacking your brain via symbols and stuff right yeah at least at the core of it yeah it has to do with programming and reprogramming your brain yeah for a desired outcome yeah yeah you could say oh that's yeah that's what chaos magic says right but to me that's like a superficial formulation of it okay um so this is where uh I would go to Thelema, which talks about it a little bit deeper. And it's about not just uh, doing whatever you want, but it's, it's about discovering your deeper nature and then fulfilling your deeper purpose. And programming and reprogramming your brain in accordance with that. Are there a Thelema Whereas group K in Tokyo? Yeah. So... Um, I was involved a little bit with the Ordo Templi Orientis Tokyo. Yeah. Uh, bunch of nice guys there. Uh, well, right. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun, but um, uh, I haven't interacted with them in years. So. so, okay. So the OTO is a little bit deeper than what Chaos Magic seems to offer, well, is what you're saying. Well, it or depends on the pra what? practitioner when it comes to chaos magic. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Grant Morrison being like the number one <laughs> famous dude that does that stuff. Is is he the most famous now? Uh, I mean, it God, it seems like um, seems like you would be. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Alan Moore. I think he's into magic, but he's not in. I, I never really heard him talk no no actually no he he's talking about osman spare in one documentary about spare mm. so he's he's in it but it seems like yeah i think it, he's look, wary it, of the chaos magic scene too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, but back in the days, um, William Burroughs and Timothy Leary and Robert Anton Wilson were, were part of the IOT, which is a chaos magic group. So they're pretty famous. Is there but any? They're they're gone. They're yeah, dead. they're yeah, yeah, um, yeah. What's his name? Morrison's still alive. Yeah. So in Thelema, from what I've it, I've only done you know cursory research, but. Satan is a figure in it, but it is not Satan worship. It's just part of a, it's not even like looked down upon like in regular Christianity. It, it's, it's, it, it's a figure that's to be respected or something, but it is not, they're not worshiping Satan. No. In any um, shape or form. Yeah. And a, a big part of it is to just help you deprogram from all that Christian, you know, guilt trip and fear. Oh, okay. So that's how Crowley used it. And there, there are deeper symbolism to that, but uh, yeah, that's some esoteric stuff. So, okay. So, um, as far as I feel like I'm changing the levels of depth in my questions here and there, but, but anyway, um, the, uh, what is it like in the Tokyo scene as far as, you know, that stuff is concerned? Like that's something that no one ever fucking talks about is like the occult scene in Tokyo. Like I think people are going to think of that fucking, um, Sarin gas cult, uh, Om, Shin, yeah, Om yeah. Shinrikyo. Uh, last podcast always says Shinrikyo, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but whatever, uh, Om Shinrikyo, like, yeah, they uh, that's obviously the most famous one, I would say, you know, but uh, you know, mm. uh, yeah, the OTO guys, um, back in the days, I mean, they've been going on for uh, decades here now, I guess, and when the whole the Shindikyo thing happened, the sarin gas thing happened, uh, I guess the police were starting to monitor them. So, yeah. I, d I definitely ex expect that. Mm. One, so one thing I heard, I've heard from one of my Japanese friends, actually several, is that the fact that Japan is not very religious, if you grow up mm. with no religion whatsoever, basically, you... Yeah you'll fall for anything if you start to feel anything spiritual. You know oh, what I that's mean? That's interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, I imagine that might be true. Yeah. Um, but as, I mean, I, you can't really say much anything else as far as your experiences with groups in Tokyo? In what way? What do you mean? Uh, in regards to what you just said? Or? Uh, well... Okay, let me be more specific. Is it, is it, would you say it's growing? Um, well, first of all, I'm a very solitary practitioner, so I've been out of the loop for a long time. But um, like the OTO guys, I think they're pretty, they stay close. It's like a family almost uh, feeling. Okay. Um, are they mostly I, foreigner? Yeah, mostly. Okay. But a lot of those texts have been Jap translated into Japanese. 
I would. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And they done, they've done a good job. Like,、uh, it sounds cool in Japanese. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, that's cool. Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't think the cult scene is big in Japan at all. It's not、yeah. growing. It's, yeah. It's,、uh, but in, maybe in、um, like esoteric Buddhism, the community in interest is growing more. I don't know. Maybe. Like Yamabushi stuff? Yamabushi,、uh, I'm sure that it's, it's very small. Yeah.、Uh, maybe like more like Zen or Shingon, maybe. Becoming more accessible, you know? Yes.、And、especially, well, for, for there's, there's so much more information available for foreigners. So maybe that's,、uh, yeah, foreigners become interested in it more. When I, A few years ago, for whatever reason, I was interested in Yamabushi stuff. And then、mm-hmm. I was looking for it. It's hardly you, any. What's that? Did you meet anybody? I never、did、met you... anybody, but I just looked online. I think even when I was in Japan. And then I.、Uh, you couldn't find much at all. And now, search on YouTube and Venmo. I mean, not Venmo, Vimeo. Yeah. You, you'll. There's like at least 10 videos、mm-hmm. of. Sort of well done, well done to amateur videos of people doing Yamabushi stuff. <laughs>、uh, yeah. You know, at least introductory information and things like that. It, it was, it was, it's like the, the information starting to spread, man. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. There's still some secrecy around it for whatever reason, but, you know, I don't know why that, I felt that part was interesting, but it, it was.、Um, I, it's some sort of like Shugendo. Type of thing. Have you ever met anybody in Japan that literally believes in Shintoism? Literally.、Uh, Amet- yeah. Amaterasu and all that? Yeah, yeah. One guy, he was a very eccentric elementary school teacher. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah, he was really interesting. I think he, at one point he was trained or he did become a Shinto priest. And he's really young too, but extremely sensitive person. Yeah, okay. He invited me to some seminars, but、uh, yeah, it was a little bit too much for me, <laughs> even for me. Some Shinto seminars. Yeah.、Um, These yeah, are like the ultra like, right wing. Are they kind of right wing ish? A... I wasn't sure if I kind of got that vibe a little bit. So. <laughs> These are the kind、yeah. of guys, maybe not all of them, but I mean, if you believe in Shintoism to a T, then. You're one of the people that believes that the emperor is, is God, right? Right, right. So, well, who knows?、Uh, didn't delve too deeply into it. So, yeah. Okay.、Uh, have you checked out the, the Marathon Monk documentary? No. Oh, you should check that one out. It's、That's、Tendai、good. Buddhism. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's about, or、um, well, it's really famous.、Uh, it's called Senniji Kaihogyo. It's, it's a thousand day, seven year training process they go through. And they go around the Mount Hiei in Kyoto for seven years. 
it's walking oh, yeah. every day and sometimes uh oh they go through this fasting ritual and they don't take any food or water mm -hmm. i think it goes on for like five days and yeah they, they almost they come to the point of death right so it's on youtube check it out the full thing for free yeah okay i will tendai is also another one for whatever reason i was sort of into that um Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, well, you being an atheist, why were you? Why are you so curious about it? You feel like uh, it, once you become atheist, that should be it. No, just I'm just curious. Like, what's? Uh, well, I'd say my core belief, like I said, is pretty much agnostic atheist. It pretty much hasn't changed, but um, I think that growing up in the area that I grew up in, in Alabama and Georgia, people just say, oh, he's, uh, that person's a part of the cult. That person's a Satanist. Uh, and it's very uh, not specific. Mm -hmm. So to learn more about the specifics, chaos, magic, left hand, right hand, path, magic, whatever you want to call it, OTO, uh, you know, to learn more specifically what these things are. I mean, I think people back in the day would call your old school European paganism, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, Satanism in a way, you know, it was just, I think I liked learning the specifics of it. And uh, I haven't, I've never done any of the stuff for it, but like the the brain hacking kind of like, I guess you could say even like the sigil charging and all that, like, yeah. May, what do you call it? Like molding your mind with symbols. Uh, I've never done that, but I think even in my agnostic atheist worldview with absolutely pretty much, well, there's no real good evidence for anything supernatural. At least you can say there might be something to your brain reacting to symbols. Mm -hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So that's the psychological model, right? Can you explain further? Um, so I guess this, um, this is a chaos magic thing. You use whatever model that seems to work or you experiment with various models, uh, reality models, uh, which could mean atheism, agnosticism, supernaturalism, or the psychological model, everything is just in your head, and you're just messing with your brain. Uh, so you are, you're open to the idea of the psychological model uh, working to produce effects as opposed to a spiritual model or something like that. Yeah. Supernatural. Okay. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Which one, I mean, you just said that you're more of a naturalist, so you're more of the psychological model type or, um, 
well, the psychological model works really well. There's no denying about that, but I'm open to more radical models of reality, like extra dimensions or whatever, you know. It's, of course, it's speculative, but I've had far out experiences that um, I, I, I find difficult to kind of, I find myself force fitting data into the psychological model. So I'm not completely satisfied just with the psychological model. Okay. You're not completely satisfied with what do you call it? Scientific ob objectivism or? Well, I, I, I believe in scientific objectivity. Okay. But, um, so if there is um, a result or an effect that was produced by, through whatever magic or whatever, I think it can be verified with scientific um, method and thereby regarding it as scientifically objective. Right. But we don't have enough understanding and scientific technology, perhaps, to verify everything, uh, all, all of the supposed results that we get you know, at this time in history. You think that there will be a day when that will be possible? I suspect. It's a, yeah, I highly suspect the god Horus is the is the god in Delima, and he's the, he's the child god, the child of Hor, um, Osiris and Isis, and this he symbolizes humanity coming to age. You know? Of course, this is all uh, Western Enlightenment thought too. With uh, Immanuel Kant, we became humanity finally reached the adult stage. What would constitute being an adult in this view? Shedding uh, superstitions and questioning old authorities. Okay. The church, especially. In a lot uh, of ways, this has already happened. Yeah. But, you know, these kind of movements, they always tend to uh, exaggerate their claims. It's, it's, a, it's a long, difficult process, you know. So it, like when Kant first became prominent, a prominent figure, people were, I think it was Pitha, he declared um, Kant as like the real Christ and like Jesus. Jesus Christ was like the Antichrist. <laughs> Who did this? I think it was Fitha, the philosopher. Can you spell that? F I C H T E. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, not even Nietzsche said that, right? <laughs> <laughs> but of course, oh, like, you know, after Kant's, um, the all the terror of the revolution happened and everything and 
and humanity is, is stupid as ever. Um, and with Thelema, it's um, at least Thelema didn't declare man as adult like the Enlightenment people did. But with Thelema, we're we finally reached the adolescent stage in our evolution. And it's just the beginning. We got a long ways to go. We have to yeah, grow up, you know. Okay. Um, the, but they don't, maybe it depends on the practitioner, like everything, but the, the, the god Horus is still more or less, they don't, it's more of a symbol though, right? Or they really believe it like an evangelical believes in Jesus. It depends on the practitioner, of course. And um, I regard it as personally uh, as a genetic force somehow encoded into our genes. So, the, um, so I was in high school when I first got into Thelema. Yeah. And it started with, oh man, yeah. It wasn't through like books or anything. It started with a vision of Horus. Uh, there's a whole story that led up to this uh, event, but uh, basically the short story is I had a dream and it was like one of those weird lucid dreams. And um, I saw this book that was made of light and the first page was, I saw Osiris. And then the, the page turns and I saw Isis. And then the page turned again. Then I saw Horus. And I had no idea about like Thelema's cosmology at that point. I heard of Curly's name. Yeah. But um, yeah, from there, I was like, okay, what the hell is, was that dream about? And a year later, um, I picked up a book at Tower Records of all places in Bruno Park. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Robert Anton Wilson's Cosmic Trigger, I think it was. And he talked in that book, he talked about um, all these people around the world having visions of the god Horus. And of course, uh, my young mind was blown away I'm like what the fuck <laughs> so other people are having these visions of this hawk-headed god and so that's when i started looking into curly and finally eventually on uh, that led me to contact a local oto lodge down in um where was it newport beach in New York, Newport Beach, that's where Long Milo Duquette and his wife Constance lives, and they have their OTO lodge. Lon is a uh, well-respected, uh, one of the most uh, famous Thelemites alive today. So I went over to their place, and they, you know, helped me uh, immerse myself in the in the whole current. 
That's interesting. I've never had a dream like that, man. It's fun. <laughs> um, it's funny. It's like um, at my high school, there was this strange teacher. I was never in her class, but my friends were telling me about it. She's like, yeah, she's like all into new agey shit. And she's always talking about spiritual stuff. She's so weird. I go to Lon's place and then like, I run into her there. <laughs> <laughs> what was the tradition that Alan Watts was from? He wasn't part of any tradition. That's, okay. what's gr that's what makes him great. Yeah. He was a Western commentator who dabbled in Western, uh, Eastern meditation. He, he also read a lot about Western occultism. I think about that when he says the earth has peopled as an apple tree apples. Yeah. That kind of shit. I mean, it's, it wasn't completely mind blowing when I first heard it, but it, it's, it's just still something that I think about every now and again. It's, you know, it's, it's just a deep, deep thought. Yeah. That's, that's, that's no different than like Daniel Dennett and Richard Dawkins talking about the earth peopling eventually peopling right yeah through natural selection it's just what happens over billions of years right um that in itself is extremely mysterious i mean what would it be other than just somehow what do you call it um abiogenesis hmm. You know, why does life have to be so special? Well, maybe, maybe the universe to begin with is special. It's just already uh, prone to produce life. Right. And your and the mystery is why would the universe be prone to do that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's an answer for that one. Well, what if we can see that like our consciousness itself is was somehow um kind of came came about in a very natural way in that all or part of the universe is somehow proto-conscious if that is the case then if the universe somehow has proto-consciousness then it's only natural for consciousness to eventually arise so okay that so would, it's like an evolution in consciousness hmm? it's like an evolution in consciousness yeah, and in tangent with uh, biology, biological evolution. But why would all these chemicals come together to produce eventually bacteria and life? Uh, if the maybe there's something to the universe that does that, you know, in the first place, it's, that is prone to do it. Like, so this is where I start speculating about. 
the inherent geometric nature of the universe? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, to me, it just seems like if you are a species that can survive better if it communicates mm -hmm. better and you somehow along the way develop more speech functions and then your consciousness arrives out of some sort of speech to yourself it's the language sector of the brain then yeah. i i don't know man i don't i don't i mean why would that occur at all in the universe what the universe would make that happen to begin with i mean I think yeah. immediately asking why you're assuming intention and well, I'm, right. I'm not assuming intention. I'm okay. saying this is all a blind causal unfolding. Okay. So there's no, there's no teleology. There's no intention. The universe is not intending anything. Okay. But just the bare facts bare existence is um, all the formula so to speak is already there naturally yeah I see what you're saying so it's I'm not like, I mean um, how you answer that I have no idea though do you have any reading recommendations for me Um, I would say Max Tegmark, but uh, I disagree with his um, fundamental thesis, but Max Tegmark, who's a cosmologist, Roger Penrose, uh, Shadows of the Mind. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe start there. And then Shinzen Young. Yeah. And... Uh... What about um, a Cosmic Trigger, you said? Yeah, I haven't read that, to be honest. Um, okay. I just went to the, the bookstore. Yeah. What about Crowley? Crowley. Um, let's see. Oh, I would recommend The Revival of Magic. It's a collection of his essays, so it's very accessible. And this outro song you're listening to now is called Growth, which is from a guy that does lo-fi hip-hop as well called Ginseng, J-I-N-S-A-N-G. And uh, this is one of my favorite ones from my chill mix. Okay, dude, I got to get to these Game of Thrones, so... Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thank you for coming on and talking about shit we don't normally talk about. <laughs> way more chill conversation than we normally have as well yeah alright <laughs> alright I'll check you later I'll let you All right, know alright man alright cool thanks See again bye
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 